I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. This never happened to the other fellow. For your eyes only, darling. Whoever she was must have scared the living daylights out of her. What of you? Hello and welcome to For Your Ears Only, uh, Optimism Vaccine's premier James Bond podcast. Uh, we're doing a monthly review of all of the James Bond films. That's uh, myself, Jack Eason, and Jake Tropila. Jake, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine, Jack. How are you? Very. I'm I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we're we're taking a bit of a a, a new avenue with this with this podcast. Um, mm. Doing a couple of new things with this. Uh, first off, right. we have not just uh, you and I who've been mainstays of this whole thing. We also have Sean Glynis. How are you doing, Sean? Hey guys, thanks for bringing me on to watch <laughs> yes, this. You, you, you're officially the first guest of the podcast, and you sound suitably enthused. And what an episode um, to join. Indeed, yeah. We, we, we asked George Lazenby, and he was like, who? So we defaulted to Sean. That was kind of how we worked on that, but uh, it was worth a shot, whatever. Um, but yes, we our second deviation, we have Sean as a guest. He's going to add a little bit of color to this episode because we need that because uh, we are detouring. We're taking our first detour as we travel through the, the wild and manic world of James Bond as we prepare ourselves uh, for the next one, which will be in 2019. Yeah. We've got a long road to go. So uh, we've taken our first tour away from the main Eon franchise, the, the Saltzman, Rocky, Cobbly, whatever sect. Kobe Broccoli. Kobe Broccoli. I don't know where I came from. That Brocky Cobbly. Brocky like Cobbly. A weird, thing in your, a weird thing you have in your kitchen. You keep greens in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So we, we are reviewing today. Without further ado, I shall review. Uh, we are doing Casino Royale, but not the David Daniel Craig one that people actually like. Uh, we're talking oh. with the oh, we're talking with the 1967 shit. version. Oh no, Sean! Did you did you watch the wrong one? Did you do a thing? Oh huh. no! <sighs> Every uh. time. Every time. This is worse well, than that time I watched Casino Royale sorry, from 1967. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Sean, you came out ahead. So no, we, we're we're discussing the 1967 Casino Royale, which is definitely a lesser seen film. It is technically a Bond film. It is. Uh, it features not just one but several James Bonds, in fact, um, and is basically this. This film exists through a kind of interesting genesis of the rights to the films that Ian Fleming sold the rights to Casino Royale ahead. It was the first thing he managed to sell for the screen uh, which resulted in 1954 in an American TV episode adaptation of uh, Casino Royale starring Barry Nelson as an American James Bond. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a very odd little thing and it was an hour long TV episode. The highlight of it I think really is Peter Laurie is in it as a villain. Peter Laurie is always a great villain. But um, this meant that basically the rights to Casino Royale always were, were separate to everything else. So as Salzman and Broccoli started picking up the rights to James Bond and kicked off of the very successful franchise we've been discussing up until this point, the rights to Casino Royale resided elsewhere. And when you have the rights, and after, particularly after Goldfinger and Thunderball had pretty much 
bro- broke the bank and made huge money, uh, some other people were like, well, maybe we should cash in on this with the one Bond script we have by making our own James Bond movie. Um, and if that seems like a cynical way of framing it, <laughs> wait till you see the film. Yeah, <laughs> so, is... so Jack, it's been, a, it's been a pretty lofty ride so far, you gotta say, right? I mean, maybe maybe it's... hit a bit of a snag in Thunderball, but that's to be expected. When... Thun- Thunderball, yeah, but Thunderball's, Thunderball's good, I like down. Thunderball. Sure, Thunderbolt slows down a little bit, but it's not like it's unpleasant to sit through for sure, you know. And it's and Sean Connery's been there riding the whole way through, so we're yeah. we're doing good. That's and that's the key phrase there. I think is pleasant to sit through because a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the Roger Moore films as we go along, you'll find that those are just absolutely silly and crazy. But those I still find pleasant to sit through. Um, yeah, Casino Royale threshold. There's no, there's no, there's no excusing this movie. No, no. Um, I will, we'll, we'll clarify straight up. Um, the the general, we'll discuss there. One of the issues with this movie is there were multiple perspectives on how this, what this movie should be while they were making the movie, which is generally not a good thing to have. Yeah. Um, but the general overriding perspective was that this was supposed to be a spoof. They weren't going to try and be just like James Bond and make an action, a suave action in intrigue spy film. They were going to make a movie that kind of rode the coattails of what had been built in the main franchise and just kind of poke fun and kind of honestly kind of be lazy about it. Just sort of like take everything that had already been established by other people and just kind of poke fun and, and do what they wanted to do and basically just get a... Uh, they must have raided every fashion house in London, basically got every single female fashion model they could find and just put them all on the screen together and just have a, like a big riotous kind of laugh in. That's yeah. the idea. That's laugh nominally in. what they were aiming for. So um, be- the final be- film. Before we go further, yeah, no. I want to I want to talk to our guest, um, Sean. You uh, you kindly agreed to join us uh, on this movie, no less, <laughs> and I appreciate you for that. Um, but first, I want to kind of hear your history with the the James Bond franchise. What uh, your earliest memories were? How the first film you may have seen? What what does James Bond mean to you? Hmm. Um. <clears throat> Thanks, Jake. Um, I didn't prepare for that question. Oh, um, you're but, welcome. But I have oh, to, well, fuck it then. Now I let's have, move on. <laughs> I have thought about it before. Um, and I, I I haven't seen, like, a ton of Bond. Um, I've seen a good portion. Yeah. But really, uh, really like, um, my, my exposure... Uh, really started to get in depth uh, around the Pierce Brosnan days, like Goldeneye. I definitely sure. watched. Sure, um, yeah. I, I watched all of the the Brosnan ones, and um, I know that those aren't considered like uh, top tier uh, by any means. And I would I, I would agree that they're they're not very great. But um, I have a weird uh, thing where um, just visually, I think that Pierce Brosnan is the best. Bond, like like he fits my my um, like ideal of of mm. what Bond is. I, um, in, I would I'm tend sh- to agree with you. Oh, yeah, like, who knows? For, what? For, well, yeah, for me, I, and we'll get into this way further on. But I feel Pierce Brosnan was the Bond who was undone by writing. Like I feel Pierce Brosnan really is a great James Bond who just got not great James Bond scripts to be James Bond within. Yeah, and, and I'm excited for you guys to um, to, to talk about the uh, the ones that I've seen more. Um, the stuff before him, I only know through my dad, who like would watch it. You know, just like a lot of fathers would put it. You know, there's the old American Beauty 
joke where he he talks about you know they're on the way to his um his daughter's uh cheerleading performance during a basketball game and, and he's pissed that he's missing the james bond marathon on on mm. uh tnt or whatever um we're, we're doing this that, for the dads out there for sure <laughs> yeah um and then they went to spike tv i believe but um uh, that that was sort of my exposure, like my dad watching them, and, and I would see some, like you know, I've seen some of the classic stuff from 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 um, Goldmember, like when you guys talked about that. There, uh, you know, Goldfinger, the key, Goldfinger, I was like, Goldfinger. Yeah, God, <laughs> Goldfinger. Um, uh, yeah, there were definitely scenes that that I could recall for sure. But um, yeah, I, 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 but w- the thing that I really appreciate about Bond, the Bond franchise. Um, that I'm, I'm sure it's not uh, monolithic in this, but um, it's also um, there are a lot of franchises that go the other way. The, what I like is that um, it's designed in a way for audience members to jump in at any point. Yeah. Um, and I like, and I know that there, there's like some, you know, some corporate. Um, corporate logic behind that right so you don't want like you don't want to disenfranchise um any new viewers from 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 your huge property you know you want to be welcoming and make money off of them yeah but at the same time uh, on an entertainment value i think that that uh it it it's it's nice it's nice it, it i don't have an obligation to catch up uh if i missed one I, it doesn't matter i can i can just jump in i know the archetype and that's really what it's working off of Oh, that was a that was a great response. And uh, speaking of uh, films that seem to have open contempt for their audience members, we watched Casino Royale '67, <laughs> and uh, we're so, really selling this one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Jack, as you mentioned, there's a lot of different viewpoints uh, in this film. Um, this movie has a whopping five directors, um, but it's not an anthology film. It just has five directors: is John Huston, Kenneth Hughes. Val Guest, Robert Parrish, and jo- Joseph McGrath with additional sequences, in quotes, directed by Val Guest. Uh, whatever I, didn't know John Hughes, I didn't know John Hughes had a hand in this. J- John Huston and yeah. Kenneth yeah, the, Hughes, yeah. All, all the scenes in a Chicago suburb involving a family were shot by John Hughes. Yeah, that was, that was his take on it. What, what's worrying about this is not just that it had, like, five directors, but it's, like, five good directors. Like, five directors who've done stuff with their careers. Yeah. Uh, that's where it gets real worrying. Like, these are... They just had money to burn on this project. And it's worth noting, I mean, they had their... They, they had... Nick Rogue did additional photography on this, too. Like, they were pulling in, and Nick Rogue was, like, a top-tier camera, and this just before he went into directing for himself um, yeah they what were pulling else did he in- do camera work on before this because I know he was he was like a a, a hot commodity I mean, didn't he work with didn't he work with David Lean before that I that sounds he right might have but I, I, I'm right. pulling that off the top of my head. But he, I know he was he was very much in demand, and he came in on performance with Donald Camel, kind of as they were neither of them were proven. So it was like it's two guys who aren't proven rather than one which is a weird strategy and performance really reflects that and i'm very glad they did it but anyhow um yeah so this this is a movie that i mean this to me is is almost like the this feels like the avengers of 1967 like this is a movie that just has so much money and like everything about this movie just oozes yeah, the, not the spending of money, not necessarily any value <laughs> or use, but just spending money at all points. There's no point in this film where you feel like 
you know they could they they cut corners or anything like the whole thing just looks like they just had a checkbook off the off camera and they were just throwing checks at everyone and it's it's kind of gets yeah. disconcerting yeah it's weird um it, it's weird to see like uh for me because it, it was obvious, like without doing any research about about it, like to see you know uh, them them just throw this money away. But it was interesting to see uh, here and there moments where it actually like meant something, where it paid off visually. Like there were some really nice sets that were designed. Um, sure, that, yeah. That probably made up about like one and a half percent of the screen time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's worth noting. I believe that the the budget for this film in total. This film cost about as much, I believe, as the four existing main James Bond movies made before this. And and they weren't cheap. Like, Goldfinger and Thunderball were not podunk productions. They were pretty spendy affairs to begin with. This thing ran long because of production production issues, mainly because Peter Sellers left. Uh, which we'll go into, uh, yeah. your star left. So so basically this thing ran long in production. It was very expensive to begin with. Effectively, from Dr. No through Thunderball, all the money to get four really solid films, as we've discussed, that's what they, they spent to get this one movie, which is longer than any one of those movies. It's two hours, 11 minutes long, I'm, I'm going to say, on around. It feels longer. The, There's certainly the value length, yeah. there. There, there's certainly value in that. For your two hours, 11 minutes, it feels like you're sitting there for much, much longer than that. Yeah. Dare, it's a good way to gauge a chair, actually. If you're, if, you're the, if you're buying a chair, bring a copy of Casino Royale, sit through it. And if you're still comfortable at the end of that, that's a damn good chair, I would say. That's a fair metric. Yeah, and I would argue this isn't even a movie. Um, but, <laughs> Barely. All right. So I mean, technically, it is. Yeah. I mean, film versus video. This was shot on film for sure. A lot of us. We we <laughs> mentioned it, and we usually do this segment at the end. But I'm just going to go ahead and add it here. Um, the budget for this movie originally started at six million dollars. Um, it later ballooned to twelve million dollars, which is the 2017 equivalent of ninety million dollars. So that is Bro, which. Quite, quite Which is cash, a lot, yeah. Yeah, and, and they still everything. spend even more than that on some of them. But yeah, Jesus, that's and it, like I say, it, it we, we might I, I guess to discuss it further. Let's let's go. Let's try and unpack the story, which yeah. is not going to go very well. The story. I mean, I, let's let's agree beforehand. This film is <laughs> devoid of story. It is really it's like a sketch film, but like messier than that. It doesn't even have the coherency of that. But um, it's basically made up of, there's one main segment, which is really the thing that sticks closest to Ian Fleming's actual story of Casino Royale. That features Peter Sellers as James Bond. Mm -hmm. And that involves Baccarat and Le Chiffre and and betting and the general outline of the story that is Casino Royale. Around that, we have a secondary story uh, involving David Niven as the retired James Bond, who is dragged out of retirement uh, for some reason, I don't remember exactly, but he's dissatisfied with there. There's James Bonds. All, there's lots of James Bonds around the world. Apparently, when he retired, they gave everyone the James Bond moniker, um, and Peter Sellers is maybe one of them. Uh, I'm losing track of this, so, point, but that's the general framing storyline. Let's talk about the opening um, scene. So, as Sean, as you may know, all the Bond films follow a formula. There's the pre-title sequence. Um, this one, a man peers from around the corner of a wall, and he goes, Mr. Bond? And the camera pans back, and he's literally standing six inches from Peter Seller, and Peter Seller turns and says, yes? And then 
the camera pulls out even further, and we re- reveal that they're standing in what's called a pissoir, which is a French public urinal where if you guess, I guess if you need to go, you can just go here and whip your dick out and do your business. Um, this guy shows Peter Sellers his credentials, but he holds them at his waist, and Sellers says they appear to be in order, and then that's the whole scene. That's a joke, that's, yeah. just to let everyone know. That's a joke that's that he's staring sequence. at another man's dick. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's funny, <laughs> and you would laugh at that juncture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Some, so someone someone might have I don't know like yeah. maybe somebody laughed at some point. So that's the that's the brilliant <laughs> opening sequence that kicks off this movie and it's it, it's roughly 45 seconds long and uh then it takes us into this uh fanfarish opening theme by Burt Bacharach which sounds like this. No. I I'm just gonna, me back. I'm going to say yeah, I'm gonna say straight up. Okay, let's let's cut. The star of this film, as far as I'm concerned, is Burt Bacharach. He did the legwork. He constructed a score that suggests we're having a lot more fun than we're actually having at every single time. And also, I never even realized the look of love. The film Dusty Spring, or the song with just Dusty Springfield, that was written for this film. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a famous song that people still remember. No one really talks about Casino Royale anymore, <laughs> not this one anyway. Um, so it's, it's weird. Burt Baccarat really, he came out of this thing looking pretty good. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to give those, it... That, uh, his song, it, was that him later as well? The song that he... That, yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe he, he wrote the Casino Royale song as well, maybe yeah, with someone that's else. That's a I don't good re- song. It is, yeah. No, the soundtrack is is really jaunty and fun. It's it, like it would really work if the film were fun. Um, yeah. And and but but it but it also sets in motion the concept. This is this is a romp. This is a wild zany film. I mean, this film reminds me a lot of stuff like it's a mad 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 world. A yeah. film of which one of the great jokes is that you have to say the word mad five times whenever you talk about it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a film that is just full of famous people being zany, and that's the funniest thing in the world. Um, and honestly, it's, it's mad, 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 mad world is funnier than this film, I think, but it's hard for me to recall exactly. Oh, it definitely is. It's, it's funny, I... I um... I, it's funny you mention uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world, because... Um, <laughs> I I had thought first about um, <laughs> rat race, <laughs> um, which is Close. obviously which is obviously a mad 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 world uh, for the ADHD generation. Or, or, yeah. yeah, yeah, not even not spoof. It's not a spoof. It's it's just a um, yeah. It's just because it's less than three adaptation. hours long. Uh, honestly, I think Rat Race is kind of funny, but um, but the fact that I thought of that and not Mad Mad World is uh, maybe <laughs> telling. <laughs> That's perhaps so. So uh, so I mean, we'll get back. So yeah. so the idea basically is. Um, we we uh, we have Peter Sellers in a main story. We have David Niven in a framing story. This is not a naturally realized story, and there there's several other escapades throughout the film as well. The structure of this emerged because Peter Sellers was brought on to play James Bond, and apparently, I, Jake, you were saying he basically he got the notion that he would be James Bond, like a serious James Bond in a serious James Bond film to rival Sean Connery. Yeah, that's correct. Sellers, he he wanted this to be his own bond, but the the computer, or the 
computers. Fucking, what am I saying? The directors, <laughs> the directors are saying louder, they put faster. It computer. They put it into a computer. Algorithm based. Yeah, it was like a, I feel yeah. like it couldn't be worse than what came up there. I don't know. At a certain point, I feel they just had a calculator, and they're like, this "How much a, will it cost to do this?" Yeah, this is a computer circa 1967, and they threw in elements to make a Bond film, and this is what it spat out. <laughs> They just he went threw enough punch cards that. in there, and, and out came Peter Sellers thinking that he would be able to carry a serious action film role. <laughs> which I, I admit, okay, off the, I'm just going to acknowledge right here. I really, I'm not a film actor person. When it comes to movies, I'm really not driven by actors. There's no, there's Same. almost no actor that I would watch a movie just because they're in it or whatever. Mm. But I cannot stand Peter Sellers, mm. generally speaking. <laughs> just he's one actor. I just have this aversion to. And it's weird because he's he's from a kind of a field of comedy that I really grew up with, with like Monty Python, The Goon Show. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'll read that again. They were all really kind of similar people moving around in the same area. Uh, but Peter Sellers, for whatever reason he got on camera, he just seems like he's like it's just shitty impersonations and a real feeling that he is just he like he's really trying really hard, even like. Kubrick, like Lolita, like I really, that's a good film until Peter Sellers shows up and even Doctor Strangelove, it kind of works there, but really that's like they channel the worst of Peter Sellers into a strength oh, wow. of the film. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a good yeah, point that this is, this film is, takes place that Peter Sellers is, is essentially at the height of his powers because he's had, oh, he's God, had several yeah. Pink Panther films. He coming off the success of Doctor Strangelove, he was huge. This is not like yeah. Connery was essentially discovered and made a star through Dr. No and all the Bond films. Here, it's let's make a Bond film with the biggest comedic actor on the planet. And Basically. And, and yet, the, the hubris, the insanity that Peter Sellers would think that they, for the, or the James Bond, they have this urbane, stocky Scottish guy that they brought in to play this, this physical superhero, like almost super secret agent. And then Peter Sellers, a man who's mostly known for like putting on a Pakistani accent in awkward situations, <laughs> thinks he's going to become like the next urbane super secret agent. It's just such yeah. an outlandish concept. Sellers has never turned in a performance that would suggest he's in any way suitable for this role yeah. and he doesn't even do it in this film there's no even at his most serious and for a lot of this film for the time that he's in there he's actually relatively understated as Peter Sellers goes right. he's almost and sleepwalking through most of this picture it, it, feel, yeah, also, it feels like he's reining it in he's really trying and he still doesn't look like he's still never like oh yeah he could be James Bond that'll work Yeah, he disappears for like uh, a long passage right, right so sure, I, well, mentioned, I mentioned yeah. the opening scene is 45 seconds uh, then the opening Opening credits are approximately 45 minutes long uh, over that Bakrat score. <laughs> then we go uh, what feels like another 45 minutes with just this David Niven Scottish side plot that goes on well, forever before we see Sellers again. Yeah, you forgot the bit, Jake, where uh, Christopher Nolan gets us to fold a piece of paper in half and punch it through <laughs> with a pencil to explain how time works when you're watching oh, that's Casino right. Royale. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and you realize that it's actually it's it's five days in regular time as you sit through it. But yeah, it's it's it takes it disappears. Yeah. And this this has caused Peter Sellers left, basically, because they weren't making uh, the movie he wanted to make. Yeah. I think yeah, it took me approximately eighteen sittings to get through it um and part of that was like i was cooking you know i don't blame uh, you like it is i am super proud i made it through in one pretty much i just sat down and i watched it and at the end of it i 
it ended and uh yeah it was like my uh, my wife was in the room with me and she asked me how long the movie was and i said it's two hours 11 minutes long and she's yeah. like that can't that can't be right <laughs> no it's about eight hours longer than that but yeah, yeah for anyone, i watched it in like three sittings yeah. but still it was it was it was it was painful it is a chore. It is and a so, chore. So, Dave, so basically, uh, Peter Sellers left. He walked out uh, because he, they weren't making they weren't making him a serious James Bond. So then they brought in David Niven, apparent, I guess, to do pickup shots around, and they just created this this bookend structure about the old James Bond being brought back into retirement and relegated Peter Sellers' agent to being just one another possible James Bond agent in the field. And they just kind of, they, like, literally they were just trying to piece it together at this point. So David Niven came in and did this whole sequence in Scotland. Um, yeah. And then a lot of the Peter Sellers sequences, actually, like, parts of it is done, actually, with outtakes, honestly. There are certain sequences of it, actually, on, on, funnily enough, one of the, I, I read a little bit on it, and one of the, one sequence where he plays Ursula Andrus like a, like a piano which is actually kind of a funny, stupid send-up of, like, romantic, sexy filmmaking. Like, that's actually one thing that I thought was actually somewhat funny. That was an outtake. That wasn't even, like, a real part of the film, but they ended up having to include it just yeah. to make the thing work at all. So, yeah, this, this film is... It's it's basically them just trying to piece together a project while everything fell apart around them. And the, So, yeah. The, okay, so mm-hmm. there's this, this Scottish segment. So they go, they go to this James Bond mansion, and it's just surrounded by lions strewn about the front lawn um for no reason essentially yeah. uh, bond's former boss m here played by john houston is coming to collect bond uh john houston yeah. also directs the he segment also directs this whole mention. segment yeah bond says so this is like the longest setup for the worst joke payoff because john houston's an older fellow but he's got this horrible ginger wig on and uh, he goes to Bond's house. Bond refuses to join him. So M has his house blown up. And in the process, M's wig is blown off. But in the next scene, we find out that M died. And Bond's returning yes. his wig to his widow. And she looks at it and says, we can keep it as a family heirloom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Phenomenal oh, yeah. sequence. I, I forgot about that. Jesus yes, fucking that- Christ. And that is that is literally imagine having a director of the talent and reputation of John Houston, and that's that's what you end up with. And that's I mean, this whole film is basically like the uh, uh, an economic lesson in diminishing returns, which yeah. is like they have incredibly talented people. It's not like this movie's full of nobodies; it really isn't, and it's just yeah. it never coheses into anything functional and yet the scottish thing it's it feels like almost like a monty python sketch oh, but like the wor- the worst element like a monty python makes fun of scottish people all the time but they do it in very short bursts and in a way that's so absurd that it's not really about scottish people yeah and like it's just absolutely ridiculous and i really enjoy monty python's fantastic scottish comedy including their whole winning wimbledon or the the poet who writes about lending everyone money or people lending him money rather uh, you know these really ridiculous elements and um, this film is literally just a bunch of people who can't do scottish accents and it's almost like they don't want them to do scottish accents and they just persist in doing the worst scottish accents you can imagine while standing around the place in kilts um, 
and the, and it's all subterfuge. It's like he, he it's James Bond is brought to this area, and it's basically like uh, it's all Russian agents or fr- they speak French, but they're supposed to be. Ru- I don't remember. It's it's very confusing. Every so often they they break character the real selves and they talk with subtitles, but then they go back to speaking with ridiculous Scottish accents, and they're all trying to fool James yeah. Bond, but they but he's wise to them, but the thing continues unabated for forever. And it's just so painfully unfunny. It's like there's no sense of a romp. There's no sense of a... You know, like To a certain degree, like, it's just... Uh, it's worth mentioning every scene of this film is, like, packed with pretty girls. Like, that's their, their concept is, like, James Bond is about sexiness. So they just have... Like, like I said, they just raided every modeling agency in, in England, I think. And just every frame, there's just women all over the place. Um, and then the yeah, romp is supposed can, to be happening because of this. Can I? I, I uh, that brings up something. Um, I can't remember. I'm, I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but you know that scene where the one actress has to like, um, like kiss all of the bonds. Like oh, one, yeah. she, she goes where, from one oh, yes, to the yeah. next. Yeah, yeah. So Barbara Boucher as as Money Penny's daughter. For yeah, some yeah. Money reason. Penny. Yeah. Um, I like. Uh, this is, this is not completely fair, but, um, watching it, like, I, in the midst of, like, all of, like, the allegations, uh, in Hollywood <laughs> right now, like, I couldn't help, I couldn't help but, but be like, this was probably a horrible experience for this person. Oh, um, I and, agree. And, uh, and it, like I said... It, What's that? Yeah, and, no, 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 well, I was going to say it could be, uh, although Barbara Boucher, this is so tame as a film that Barbara Boucher partook in. She sure, became, I mean, but who but knows yeah. what, like, off-screen stuff. And then, and I, I say that it's not completely fair, because who knows? Like, maybe it was sure. perfectly fine. But, but like, I, I guess what I want to uh, say with that is is uh, a broader feeling that um, that kind of washes over you now. Uh, or, or hopefully a lot of us, um, now watching these, uh, I mean, it, hopefully, but also it's unfortunate, um, that it's, it's sort of like inescapable, this thing that's at the foreground of, of watching Hollywood movies now to think about these, the power dynamics happening behind the screen. Oh yeah, no, this is, I mean, the women in this film are, I mean, we, we've barely covered all the men. Let's, we'll continue with, just to, to mention, okay, so we have Dave Niven comes in, we have a brief section where Woody Allen shows up, yeah. uh, playing. Oh, and and be, uh, be, right after that scene where she has to kiss everybody, then it goes to one of them, like, flipping. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, she. Flipping, winning over one by one. She's kissing these men to audition them as the new James Bond, and then he, she picks the one she likes the most and takes him down to a training center. All these women come up in a straight line and introduce themselves, and he meets them, and then judo flips them over his shoulder, one after another. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, because that's... I'm, it, it sounds funny and it's absurdity, and yet as it happens, there's no structure to... No. Like, the, the problem... I think part of the problem is that for a comedy to work, there has to be moments of normalcy to counterpoint there's Tom, nothing yeah, normal in this that's movie. part of it. There also has to be like editing and like insert <laughs> shots. Oh, wait, and, and some this skill? is just like medium shots. This is just medium shots of like 
this actor and then this woman flopping on the thing. Like, you know, they're, they're like, editing is so key in comedies, especially spoof type things. And this is just like sure. devoid of any skillful editing. Yeah, you know, I feel like this is something that, like, I feel like any one of those sequences was something that was invented on the day, on set, just because they mm-hmm. were trying to piece something together. Like, it, the whole thing has that feeling of just being basically a bunch of people just throwing ideas out there and then running with something for the day and the hope that if they just do that for enough days they will have enough footage to construct a film at the end of it and they did they managed to construct a film that's 131 minutes long they couldn't even just make like an 80 minute long movie and admit defeat they they went big yeah again i would put the word film in quotes But yeah, that, so that's fair. Now, now, and Sean, you raise a very interesting point because obviously I love the James Bond film series, and I can't, I can't, you know, I, I as much as I love revisiting these, I can't bring myself to defend the the gender and sexual politics, especially of these earlier sixty films. Um, you know, it's obviously very problematic, and it does bother me to watch it. Um, but this film is uh, is just borderline offensive. Uh, if not, it finds the edge and <laughs> jumps off of it fairly quickly um and and i get it's it's kind of being a send-off of of the way things were back then with the swinging 60s bond but yeah casino royale 67 is just complete dog shit with its attitude towards women yeah it's it's weird because it's like austin powers in the 90s was spoofing the sexual politics of bond in the 60s but this is like this feels like a behind the curve of even James <laughs> yeah. Bond within yeah. the 60s and still tamer than what Austin Powers could get away with in the 90s. It was, it's like a really, yeah. it, it just, it never, it never gels. But um, yeah, it, you it's know, so, you know, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was, you, you, if you have a point to interject, I'm going to, I'm going to push oh, along uh, as we well, go. But I, you, I was going to say, while we're talking about eras, is something that I thought a lot about while watching this, um, especially at the beginning where I kind of like realized immediately that uh, this was not going to work for me <laughs> on a lot of levels. Um, I was like, I think that my, like, you know, I, I try, I, I'm an, I pride myself on being an equal opportunity watcher of movies, like despite genre and era and stuff like that. Like I, I would never say one is, is better or worse than the other. Sure. Yeah. Um, but but I obviously have my taste as far as like things that gel with me, and I think my least favorite type of thing to watch is like groovy '60s stuff that's like studio made, mm. um, and this is definitely there. Um, sure. But, uh, what what's interesting about it is that so this came in '67, so it was made like in '66, but um, probably or maybe longer. But um, uh, <laughs> this is like uh, was was this a U.S. production or was this a, a English production? It was it was I think U.S. Production, but it was filmed in England. But yeah, I think okay, so, I think they went with English resources because Bond was pro- prototypically English, so they had to maintain that. So it was shot in Pinewood Studios, I believe, in in England. But yeah, I believe this was so, very much American studio production. Okay, yeah, interesting. I think it so, has a, yeah, this this yeah. I was just gonna say it had a dual citizenship. <laughs> um, I don't think any country would thank have you. this film. <laughs> um, so uh, this strikes me as like the uh, like uh, appropriately one of like the last movies of the the Hollywood era before New Hollywood. Um, and I I kept thinking about the movie Head, uh, which came out 
in 68. So New Hollywood, a lot of people uh, say it uh, started with in 67 with um, like uh, Bonnie yeah. and Clyde and The Graduate. Um, yeah, Easy Rider like, around was, that too. Yeah, was I think that was 69 if I'm not mistaken. But, um, no, no, like, Easy Rider came first. Easy Rider was oh, like okay. the pre- prototypical. The uh, that that was the film that launched BBS to be able to produce the monkeys movie and okay. stuff. So, um, so yeah, like uh, all of that stuff was was about to happen or was like in production. Mm-hmm. But uh, specifically, um, Head I think would make a really good uh, double feature with this. I mean, I, I say that like if you have to watch this movie, then you should uh, like chase it with Head um, <laughs> because Head is like. Have you guys seen Head? I have not. Yeah, yeah, I have. I've seen it. it. It's, um, it's a really great movie that 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 I, uh, it took me a while to to sort of like get a hang of while watching it. But um, one, it's a lot shorter. But two, it's it's just super interesting. But it's still the same like groovy. Obviously, it's the monkeys and it's the late sixties and it's like super druggy and and it also yeah. it has the this. Um, I don't know, where the monk? Uh, yeah, it has this dual citizenship as well. But yeah. uh, no, no I, and you're you're right. By the way, sorry. It's that the monkeys, the TV show was ended with head and the success of the monkeys oh. not so much head but the success of the mood the tv series the monkeys funded easy rider and pretty much paved the way okay. for the american new way so yeah you were right easy rider came 69 and pretty much blew open the independent new hollywood movement away from the major studios right. yeah yeah because jack nicholson also wrote head but um uh yeah, yeah anyway in, in harry dean just... stanton's basement no less <laughs> he, and Bob, he and Bob Raffleson basically wrote the script ahead while doing LSD in Harry Dean right. Stanton's basement. That was how that happened. Yeah. The more you know. Uh, but yeah. Um, I, <laughs> anyway, I just kept thinking about this uh, this movie, Casino Royale, as sort of um, as very much a studio movie that has a ton of movie or a ton of money behind it um, and doesn't know what to do with it, uh, butting up against this completely new era. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think I think there's an element of that. It's it, like it's kind of like Casino Royale is the collapse of everything, but it's a collapse that came about through carelessness rather than through any kind of institutional decay. It's it's literally just it was it seemed to be a project that was founded in cynicism. Because I mean, the only reason this film exists is because other Bond films had been made successful through hard work and and kind of clever filmmaking. All that work was done with the main franchise and it was paying dividends and they just happened to own the rights to Casino Royale and were like, well, we need to cash in on someone else's work now. We're going to try and take a slice of someone else's pie. And the film, so it's like it's founded in complete abject cynicism. And then on top of that, they brought in people like Peter Sellers, who is a completely selfish kind of movie star who basically un unfooted it even further until it basically just collapsed in and they started just like this this film watching this film has the feeling of like people desperately trying to dig out like it's it's like people trying to bail water off a boat before it sinks like there's this clawing desperation to every scene there's no structure there's no the storyline falls apart routinely and kind of like it, you know it's it's people just trying to rescue it and rein it back in but and none of that is a good foundation for comedy because the film is not making fun of itself the film's trying to construct comedy and it just ends up doing the crassest kind of like lowest common denominator stuff that it can which really is you know and it's it's just so long and so 
broken up between everything that you start to wonder, like, you know, there's no reason. I guess it's when I think about spoofs and I think of stuff like Airplane and stuff like that, which really, you know, founded the modern spoof genre. Um, and before that, there were, you know, the compendium films, which are just full of actors, you know, famous people doing their kind of shtick. But almost all those films had to some degree, and particularly, you know, with the really good spoofs that came later on, they had a, they still have a narrative structure, like, Airplane is pretty much a shot-for-shot remake of an actual airplane disaster movie, largely. That's one of the funniest things about it, is the fact they actually did half the funniest bits in it. They didn't even... They're not actually jokes. They literally yeah. just lifted and it from another movie. But, um... Yeah, the airport yeah. movies. And that, that wasn't, like, um... That was... Yeah, that was based off, like, sort of, like, an obscure movie. It wasn't, like... Like, yeah, yeah, the, just, jo- the jokes you didn't have to get, like you just—I mean, you, there was no reference point. Yeah, um, yeah, it was—it was—it was like there was a slight shift of focus that made it funny. You know, there was because like, because there's in, there's this intrinsic cardboardy kind of like uh, potted dramatic element to these movies, and Airplane really latched onto that, and just they got a bunch of actors who weren't known as comedians to deadpan it, and it turned out to be hilarious. This movie, but but at the same time, there's still in like a movie like Airplane to keep that as the example. There was still like the establishment of the the hero and his troubles. There was meeting all the passengers on the plane and establishing their credentials as people we should care about, however ham fisted that would be. There was you know the the behind the scenes, all the people monitoring the airplane. There was the flight itself, and you know you know as it starts to degrade, like there's all these narrative cues that allow us mm-hmm. to follow along with what point we're at in a normal movie and then the movie itself makes fun of that but like we always know where we're supposed to be in the regular film so we can laugh along as it deconstructs that part of the film by being ridiculous this film you know what's up just yeah this film doesn't establish any kind of a narrative rhythm we're lost in the middle of it at all times right you know it's a better uh spy spoof what's that Uh, are you are you gonna say spy hard Spy Hard. Spy Hard. I've never Sorry, seen Sorry, did it. I ruin that? Have you never seen Spy no, Hard? No, no, that's fine. Spy Hard, I think it's on Netflix right now at this record. But uh, that's, uh, that, that's kind of... I, I grew up on... Obviously, like, I, I watched Airplane and stuff like that. But I grew up, as far as, like, contemporary stuff on Leslie Nielsen's late career stuff. Um, and I also was thinking about that stuff during it because... Uh, like those, that stuff, whether all of it lands or not, obviously more of it lands in, in like, the... Um, naked gun stuff but um i mean there's still like joke a minute you know and sure. at least at least an attempt in here it's just like i like where are the jokes y- yeah i mean yeah, it, comes, this- it comes back to the formulation of the film that the joke to a large degree is simply just having so like it's simply just that there's so much stuff on the screen at any <laughs> given time like the joke right. is that there's 20 women on the, in the film right now you know and that's the joke the joke is that it's peter sellers for god's sake and yeah. like, none of that i don't think it was funny in 67 it sure as hell isn't funny now like it doesn't <laughs> carry over at all yeah like the so the bond films traditionally they're all about james bond he's the, the proto alpha male and he's thrown in these larger than life situations and it's like the producers are saying oh my god can you believe this situation how is bond going to get out of it or whatever uh here it's like oh my god we're there's a ufo landing in the middle of london can you believe this is actually happening why aren't you laughing there's there's <laughs> pretty, there's pretty no much, no yeah. rhyme or reason to anything that happens in this movie 
Yeah. No, yeah. And, and so so I feel like like let's let's run let's try and encapsulate the script. I feel like <laughs> so, let's try yeah. and so just, just I will not be of any help here. You know, I, my, my notes just sort of jump around, but I wanted to mention oh, that God, yeah. in, in the opening credits, uh, it says this film is not based on the novel Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. It says it was suggested by the novel Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. Almost like this movie was a $12 million dare where they did all the cocaine in the room and strew this thing together. Gee, I feel cocaine would have produced a more interesting film. I feel like I feel like this wasn't so much. This wasn't suggested by Casino Royale. This was suggested by the box office takings of Thunderball. That's what yeah. this film was suggested by. And yeah, it's just so like it it pushes along. We have Woody Allen introduced as Jimmy Bond, who's James Bond's nephew. And yeah. I mean, we know Woody Allen has uh, become something of the the villain de jour in cinema right now, and not undeservedly so. But I like as I almost hate to say it, the second Woody Allen shows up in this movie, it gets funnier like immediately. Oh yeah, he shows yeah, up, he, and yeah, that's the, actually his first scene is probably the best joke in the film. But, and, and that's yeah, the, when and you it's guys actually a comedic uh, setup. When mm-hmm. you guys were sort of like soliciting. Um, uh, you were kind of like asking me, like if I wanted to be on and and pick a pick pick one or whatever. I, I I don't remember if I suggested this or joked or if you offered it, whatever. But I picked this one to be on because um, I had never seen it before. Mm-hmm. But uh, as as somebody who um, you know, when I got into movies, it's like a high schooler. I got really into to Woody Allen stuff. Um, obviously, that has um, uh, come to a crawl now but um <laughs> sure. uh but i was like you know i haven't seen it and it would it, it let's let's see what that's about but i thought he was much more of a part i thought this was more like uh uh what's new pussycat which plays on the soundtrack um, yes. in this movie um or uh the other one what's tiger lily or what, what I, yeah. I can't remember the title what's up, but tiger anyway lily, yeah He's in like he's in he he probably has like uh, I don't know three minutes tops of screen time in this two hours and eleven minute movie. One of which uh, the highlight of which um, is one of the moment one of the movie's most prescient moments, and that's him burning in hell. <laughs> that, that's, that's the true. last he shot descends. of the film. <laughs> that's true. He falls from grace and he he descends from heaven. Uh, yeah, as a spoiler alert to everyone, this movie the movie ends with everyone dying in a big explosion. There's just a big yeah. explosion, and then everyone's up in heaven playing playing harps. Because isn't that just absolutely ridiculous? Can you even imagine? Because uh, that's basically the pitch of every joke in this thing. Um, and yeah, and Woody Allen falls from grace. But Woody Allen, um, like his first scene is a firing squad, and he's kind of he he has his usual shtick where he's he's playing Woody Allen's usual shtick of being very nervous and neurotic, and he's talking about how he's allergic. Which is probably to, much more novel back. back sure, back. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got to remember this is really before Woody Allen had really been established as a household name. In fact, it's apparently in his downtime to this film that he started writing his own movies because and he, and also his I, I guess if Woody Allen the reason Woody Allen has such longevity in his career is in part because he's very good at making a movie for not a lot of money and apparently he was appalled at how much money was spent on this film at every juncture because like yeah. he he spent like I think he spent three weeks in a hotel room with nothing to do and like in a fancy hotel room and he wrote a good chunk of the script for uh, take the money and run while he was just in a hotel room because he had nothing else to do because they just they just booked his time and that was yeah. it so hmm. 
you know, and, so, so in a lot of ways, this film is responsible for the directing career of Woody Allen. Interesting. Yeah. And the first, the first gag that, or the first scene that Woody Allen is in is, is the most clever gag in the film where he's, oh, he's yeah. being, he's thrown <laughs> into this execution lineup and he throws this explosive cigarette to distract the shooters and he climbs over a wall and on the other side of the wall is another execution <laughs> happening and runs away from that Yeah. One. That's probably the so, best, the, oh, that's, that's the only part in the movie that's well shot, like for a joke. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, yeah. The reveal, it's, it's actually like it, a setup. it works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sean, I know, you so, mentioned so, uh, what's new, Pussycat. Um, have you seen that movie? I've only seen parts of What's New, Pussycat, and uh, What's Up, Tiger Lily. What's Up, Tiger Lily is like not it. It's it's a weird like experiment almost. But um, yeah. so what? Uh, I don't I don't remember much of What's New, Pussycat. What's new? Well, What's New, Pussycat is interesting because I think that was uh, Woody Allen's writing debut, and it also stars uh, Pete, right. Peter Seller, or Peter Sellers and Peter O'Toole. Who has a cameo in this film? I don't know if you noticed him in this. Yes, very briefly. Yeah. I might have been looking at like uh, whatever I was cooking. He shows up in the <laughs> in the Scottish nightmare that Peter Sellers has, and Peter O'Toole asks Peter Sellers, "Are you Richard Burton?" And Peter Sellers says, "No, I'm Peter O'Toole." And then Peter O'Toole says, "Well, then you're the finest man that ever breathed." And then they they both tug on each other's like. The, the little tassels hanging off of each other's uniforms and then walk away. It's the fucking weirdest thing ever. It's Yeah, it's it's very funny because they had to pay Peter O'Toole to be in and that's very expensive. And again, it just, like, that feels like the whole the whole setup of this film. But, um, I, like, okay, rather, I guess, you know what, like, who cares about the storyline? Who gives yeah, a crap? I, it doesn't we matter. Don't need to, we don't need um, to run through how this. About, let's, how, how about, let's, let's do a quick run-up. What are some of the good things about this film? Can we can we compel, compile some highlights? The Woody good Allen things. intro is is good. Yeah. It, what other things here did you watch that you thought that's actually, you know, um, good? Let's let's do uh, a rundown. This should be short. <laughs> yeah, this will be brisk. Um, uh, for me, I, I also really liked uh, Woody Allen's bit at the piano. Um, that's just sort of like like it, it reminded me of like movies like Sleeper. Um, and uh like it, it really did remind me of how charming he was like i had to remind myself that this is like a molester you know like because his yeah. on-screen presence was really disarming and and funny um and but that that's a really funny gag um and it's, it's uh, weird that he talks about how he's so because it turns out spoiler alert woody allen turns out to actually be the main villain who we, we thought was dead but he right. turns out he's the main villain it doesn't really matter yeah. that he's the main villain but part of it is he has no. a whole uh, his whole plot basically involves making every man uglier than him and all women beautiful that's literally <laughs> that's literally no, his no, plot, no, the, which the, really I'm, I'm sorry to correct you sir the the plot is he wants to destroy all men taller than four foot six taller. so he'll be the tallest <laughs> yes, man yeah, I, was, I was condensing that to just making all the men ugly yeah. and all the women hot uh, and he would be the most desirable man and i mean it does play into the idea that woody allen's whole shtick is basically that he's an unattractive man who is always able to get women who seem to be more interesting yeah. and desirable physically right. than he would seem to you know deserve i guess quote unquote and yeah. that is and yeah. it's central to the joke here as well is that he's a he's a weaselly neurotic little weirdo and he's trying to basically make himself the most desirable man in the world but anyway let's let's get back to positive yeah. things let's not derail um, this <laughs> so uh there was uh, uh i have one last gag and then i'll talk about a couple other things but um uh, one th- like the the thing that probably made me chuckle like the most um 
was um, during like the the big like kerfluffle at the end where it's just like a shootout kind of thing, and then. <laughs> This one guy, I don't even know if he was a main character or just, like, somebody stumbling into the scene, but he, like, uh, goes uh, goes to shoot somebody, and the, the gun is reversed or something like that, and he shoots himself, um, uh, effectively killing himself, and he says to the guy, like, the gun is reversed, I just shot myself. But the way he says it is really funny, it's really deadpan, like, uh, like I was... Like, just imagining, you know, finding out that you just killed yourself and, like, your response is to explain it to somebody else <laughs> um, is, is really that, funny. That is definitely one of, I think, the, like, the, there's, and this, there's snippets of this that kind of work. There's a couple of silly bits and pieces, and I think that is one that yeah. kind of works. Although there's also, I feel, with the big big action sequence that is this like which is a terrible payoff for everything else but at least you get the feeling that at the end of this the movie has to end like it can't continue past this point right. so there's like it's hopes. like a mad, it's like a mad tv sketch where it's just like well yeah. what do we do let's just kill everybody or well, yeah yeah um but the 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 like hallway stuff towards the end that was like really like stark like uh blue and white and red um that that stuff was beautiful that like the like pink bed that and and like mirror setup that uh, they're spinning on at some point. Peter Sellers, yeah, uh, with the champagne or whatever. Uh, there are a couple stuff like that. I feel like there was some shots like through a fish tank or something uh, that were like really kind of like took its time and, and were really beautiful. Uh, yeah, in isolation. Yeah, there's some really nice. I mean, the production design in this, as part like the side effect of spending a lot of money, is that the production design in this is pretty lush. Now, merely a lot of it is that kind of tacky '60s kind oh, of yeah. look that really hasn't aged very gracefully, and it always looked like it was kind of I don't know if it was intended as kitsch at the time, but it it just you know it doesn't really carry too well but there's still there's still a lot of really nice production elements in this I, i'm particularly drawn to there's there's one sequence where they just go to berlin for a while uh where where <laughs> um mata bond who is james bond's daughter with mata hari goes to berlin to spy school this is nothing <clears throat> pretty much got to do with anything in the film but it's a nice it's it's an aside it's not a great aside but what i do like about it is that the spy school is basically like a send-up of a German expressionist film, and um, particularly specifically, I think the character yeah. of Doctor Caligari, the the yeah. teacher, is basically done up like Cesare from cabinet of dr caligari which i guess would mean us to oh, imagine that uh, orson wells as la chief is perhaps the caligari have we even mentioned <laughs> orson wells is in this yet no we haven't haven't even got there yet but uh, there's so <laughs> many people in this thing but um, yeah. that sequence in berlin i did like that the the set design at least i thought was good and one thing that i will mention that is mara bond is um she's trained to be a spy i thought it was kind of funny she's like since she's Mata Hari slash Mata Bond, she's like she's basically like a, a young girl in like an Indian and like a, an Indian traditional dancing dress. It's kind of yeah. very revealing and colorful. Um, and she's they talk they talk extensively how she's a bad dancer um, in before that, and then she does a whole dance number. But the dance number she does is a bad dance number, I would say, objectively. It's not a very good dance number. But it's really no worse than most other, you know, Indian-themed dance numbers from films of this era. So I'm not sure if they intended it to be bad or not, which has at least made me think, which made me 
kind of not notice the time going by so quickly. So I will right, take yeah. the Berlin sequence, honestly, in all of its absolute nonsensicalness as a high point of the film. It it made me... And also as a really young Ronnie... Well, not a really young, but a younger Ronnie Corbett, uh, who is a comedian I recognize from like my early British TV I used to grow up watching the two Ronnies one of who was Ronnie Corbett so that was kind of interesting he's doing like the Peter Laurie role a kind of the small slithery weaselly kind of guy that isn't Woody Allen who does his own small weaselly slithery little guy Um, yeah before uh, turning over to to Jake I I had forgotten about Orson Welles being in it but man like he (laughs) he was such a presence like it's it's, uh, it doesn't matter how shitty the movie is around him uh, it's just like as soon as he's on screen, he just like demand like just his face and his eyes and the way that he speaks. It just like demands like I can't I can't imagine what it was like to actually be around him in person. But that was that I, I I'm almost well, glad I sat through the movie just for that. Peter Sellers and Wells hated each other reportedly. They they're yeah. seen at the the Baccarat <laughs> game. They would not be in the same room together. So it was all shot separately. There's no there's no shot of both of them in frame together <laughs> um, because they literally would not they would not spend time together. Uh, which I think is funny. Uh, I do Orson Welles is great in this because Orson Welles is just such a as you say a presence. He really is. And Orson Welles was great at comedy. Um, yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting about this film is that Orson Welles had this tendency, this wish to uh, kind of do like magic in every film he was in because Orson Welles was interested in magic. There's something <laughs> right. big going by. I don't know what it is, but um, I guess it's probably a snowplow or something. But um, <laughs> good old Chicago. So um, Orson Welles, the ghost of Orson Welles, trundling by, <laughs> trundling by. So Orson Welles used to keep insisting that he he do magic tricks because he was really into magic and he used to work it in like F for Fake is a movie about magic. Yeah, he does the stuff, F for Fake, the final thing from that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah he does. He does. So, so so Orson Welles, I'm pretty sure, insisted that the, he get to do magic, and it's actually probably my favorite gag in the whole film. Um, where they're basically where Peter Sellers and Orson Welles are trying to one up each other at a baccarat game by doing various things, and Orson Welles basically show stops by doing a bunch of absolutely ridiculous magic and pulling flags out of everywhere, and like it's tied to a speech. You know, it's just kind of ridiculous. I really enjoy that because it's so over the top, and it's yeah. kind of like the only time I can think of aside from Effort Fake is like I'm thinking of like other films he did. Like um, weirdly enough, as we talked about Easy Rider earlier. Um, Easy Rider went into BBS Studios, and BBS Studios made a film called A Safe Place, uh, which is one of the worst films I've ever seen. I hate it so much. But Orson Welles was in that movie, and he did magic tricks in that for no fucking reason either. Uh, and it's a major part of the film. It's literally Orson Welles just in a park, just doing magic tricks uh, for no reason. It is If you've never seen it, it's almost worth watching just... Uh, so you can talk to me about it, and we can hate on it together. Which film was that? Sure I missed the name of it. It's it's called A Safe Place. It's ah. um, oh, oh yeah, fucking hell, it's terrible. It's in the Criterion yeah. BBS box set. If anyone's ever interested, I I would safely say it's one of the worst films in their entire collection. I, I hate it so much. But anyhow, that's for another podcast of movies Jack hates a lot. Yeah, coming soon. Uh, I guess if you asked me what um, some of my highlights were, I mean, there's the aforementioned uh, Woody Allen execution scene. Um, I also really enjoyed this scene because it's kind of like a a random non sequitur that works 
Um, there, it just cuts to uh, Peter Sellers is like backing into a room from outside this balcony, and this woman sneaks up behind him and calls out his name, and he like spins around to shoot her, and he completely <laughs> he completely misses, and then they don't even acknowledge it, and then I I just like the I like That's that what, yeah, and that and that um, and that and uh, I do is, I do agree uh, that uh, oh sorry go ahead. No, I was just say that that was Jacqueline Bissett in like a really early role again, yeah. like another huh. huge person in this film. And apparently, I I saw in the behind the scenes. Apparently, at some point, he shot her in the face with a blank as a oh, joke. Jesus Christ! Is that the and, one that actually looks like Heather Graham? Uh, she was dark hair, wasn't she? Uh, yeah. was, if I'm thinking the right scene, I may have mixed it like Jacqueline Bissett is dark hair. There was um, Ursula Andress yeah, yeah. was the other main female role in it. But yeah, no, apparently uh, Peter Sellers shot uh, Jacqueline Bissett in the face with a blank at close range because oh. he thought it would be Ooh. funny, Jesus which Christ. led to powder burns and various other unpleasantness. And she was young and new to the industry, and Peter Sellers was established and obscenely powerful. And it's just terrible. But I, d- I don't know if that. <laughs> yeah. I just saw that as a thing. Just as another. I'm just looking for reasons to hate Peter Sellers aside from the fact that every time I see him on screen he makes me angry and it is one of those things that Peter Sellers is actually reasonably restrained in this movie and then there's a scene in the middle of this I don't know if you guys remember this where he sits in a car and he just says a bunch of rhymy nonsense in his car before driving away in a silly voice and I know I don't know if it's an outtake I don't know why it exists it has nothing to do with the rest of the film and that's uh, and for me that was like oh God, it definitely is still Peter Sellers well, like he was reasonably restrained but now he's the same asshole as ever. There's also the scene where he's getting his mission from uh, Vesper Lynn, played by um, Ursula Andress, who is Honey Rider returning. Yeah, yeah. She kept her pants on uh, as far as I could tell, but didn't um, lose them anywhere. Yep. Yeah, but he's get so Peter Sellers uh, as Evelyn Tremble. He's getting his mission and throughout. His the the scene of exposition. He just keeps changing characters. He's Hitler. Uh, he's Napoleon, and then he turns into Toulouse Lautrec. It's insufferable. It and it compl- and again as we say, like completely meaningless. Like yeah. there's no reason for it. She's taking photos of him, presumably some kind of weird boudoir photography. But he decides to dress as Hitler. Yeah, it's like oh look at <laughs> how funny this is. It's like silly oh. costumes and silly accents. It's Peter Sellers. I thought of another uh, uh, swinging '60s movie that I don't like, probably because not not entirely, but uh, and Jake will t- take umbrage with this. But uh, Are you gonna blow say, up. if you say, "Oh God damn you!" No, that movie upends <laughs> the swinging '60s. It does not. Uh, I need to see that again because yeah, I actually didn't like Blow Up when I first watched it, but I really do need to watch. It. I thought I didn't like Antonioni, and then I found out he made movies I liked. So I need to go back and watch that one. Blow again. Up is fucking yeah, amazing, same. you guys. Honestly. I'll watch it again. Yeah. I'll watch it again. Maybe we'll do a, a Yasni or something. But um, yeah. uh, or an I was there wrong. Was some... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sean was Sean, Sean was wrong. Was wrong. The new, uh, Our new podcast. The new podcast, <laughs> the um, new podcast uh, with the most yeah. episodes of any of our podcasts. Real, <laughs> no, real quick, Jake, have you? Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, what were you going to say? I was going to say, have you seen this before? Had you come into this? I, tr- I tried. Prior... I've tried to watch this once before. I couldn't couldn't finish it. I, I got to the point where um, Peter Sellers started trying on those disguises I just mentioned, but I couldn't finish the movie. So this, I watched it in two sittings, and I only did that because I was tired and wanted to finish it and try to pay attention. But yeah, this is. I've only seen this one and a half times, and uh, I will. I take comfort knowing I will never have to watch it again. 
Yeah, I think it's fair to say that if we didn't have a podcast centered around it, none of us would probably have chosen yeah. this to sit no, through. No, this is arguably the, gonna be the worst not. podcast we've ever done. Just, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's weird. The weird thing is I have seen this movie before. I saw it years ago. And I, I've I've seen it, but literally, I my brain suppressed every frame of it except for the Woody Allen execution scene. Yeah, that was I'm literally the only that, part of it I remembered. So I'm hoping for the same uh, reaction. Yeah, the, just yeah, I'm hoping brain flushes it out yeah. quickly. Real quick, I do want to add. I I do like I do kind of like Orson Welles in this movie, and uh, I think narratively his scenes with uh, Peter Sellers are the best. Uh, and they're also the ones that most closely resemble the plot of the Casino Royale novel, which I've read, uh, where Bond does play cards against Le Chief and he wins, but then he's later tied to a chair and tortured. Uh, and Le Chief, unfortunately, he, unfortunately, Sellers avoids being tortured yeah. in this film. Well, well, he, does, he goes through that whole <laughs> Scottish ordeal, but yeah, whatever. Anyways, uh, no, no, I want him oh. to actually be tortured oh, right. in the film. That was really my hope would be that yeah. uh, some men would just bundle him off set, and that's why he disappeared. And yeah. then fingers start showing up later on. I don't know. So, and the the only other th- thing I would really can constitute as a highlight is. Um, during that endless uh, finale sequence where <laughs> shit's just exploding, um, David Niven starts uh, kicking all of these guys that are coming after him. And just the way that he starts kicking people, like each kick that comes after the next one just gets more and more outlandish. And I, I, I kind of thought that was amusing. Like he's finding new ways to kick all these people coming at him. And he's not doing any other moves. He's just like kicking He's not punching, he's not yeah, grappling. And, and it's to like a beat, yeah. it's like a beat on the soundtrack that it's it's coordinated to. Yeah, that that worked. Like that had a good cartoony feel to it yeah. for sure. So Yeah, I mean it's 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 weird cuz I mean David Niven can do comedy. He's great in comedy. Yeah. Um it's just and Woody Allen exists, like kind of rises above and David Niven. It's just the film, like I say, it just it lacks shape. It lacks any kind of a. Yeah. It feels like a film that has no idea how to go about doing what it wants to do, and it just and, and obviously just product. It's a production that went out of control without question. It just it any film where you have five directors just to get a film in the can is that's normally a bad sign and it's, and it's not like any of the producers in this film that I'm aware of are uh, you know yeah. like David O. Selznick types who are really pretty much a director in their own right you know yeah, yeah we, the, we last, a, mm-hmm. the last the last movie I saw with five directors was uh, Eros no, yeah. well, there you go. That and that's slightly different, isn't it? Because uh-huh. you've got at least films with that for each character. Uh, this one has that was, that was supposed to land a lot. A lot you just uh, want to shit on Antonio anymore, don't you? <laughs> he, oh, his part is actually horrible. In that, oh yeah, uh, no, I uh, I later, love him, but his segment is the worst in that movie. Have you ever seen Identification of a Woman? That's his uh, worst Antonio. feature film. That I've okay, seen. yeah, no, I'm just curious if anyone, I'm curious if I want to hear someone rescue that one, because that, I, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie, because I haven't seen it in a long, long time, but it certainly didn't seem like a good movie when I was watching it. It would have been interesting to see uh, his version of a Bond movie, because, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he dealed only, almost only exclusively in dapper men when there were men in his movies, um, and they were, you know, globetrotting. Uh, it would have been really interesting to see what kind of Bond movie. I think that's that's kind of. I, well, I, I was saying, like offline had an investigative element to it. I guess, True. but yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of like it uh, brings me back to kind of what some of my hopes that will surely go unfulfilled yeah. with the the John Wick uh, franchise are. Is that kind of like that really quiet? You can uh, you can almost turn. count the the passenger as like a Bond movie where Bond just wants to disappear. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there's elements. I'm thinking, like, I mean, his country made Elio Petri did the tenth victim, which also has Ursula Andress in it, and has Marcello Mastroianni as the the person who I feel oh, yeah. could actually have made a pretty good, could have made a pretty good Bond oh. in this time. Oh hell yeah! We've, yeah, we've um, mentioned that movie alone. So yeah, Bologna would have been awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 none of this happened. None yeah. of this is in this film at all. And we're now at this we're, point just inventing. We're talking about film better projects. films we would have wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, anything. Is there literally. anything I, else to say about Casino Royale, Jack? Do you have any I, numbers I have a, you yeah, want to run? I mean, what is? Yeah, well, yeah. Go through the numbers. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. I, I don't. I would. Uh, as a greatly disappointment, I feel disappointment is a. There's two words I feel that that kind of tag well with Casino Royale. Royal. One of them I've heard throughout this podcast, which is endless. Uh, and the other one I feel is disappointment, is that honestly, we didn't run numbers for this one because I actually stopped. Uh, like, uh, we, we could do it. There's sex scenes. There aren't even clear sex scenes in this film. There's two with uh, Peter Sellers, one with Ursula Andress, and one with uh, Jacqueline Bissett. They might be... They might not be. It's kind of like shot around them so evasively. I don't even know. So I honestly, I don't really even care. And I don't want to even know what age Peter Sellers was. Yeah. uh, Because I kind of wish he wasn't there. (laughs) So we skipped over that. In terms of deaths, honestly, there's a David Niven maybe kind of kills that girl in the milk float. Except not really. He just booby reverses her booby trap on herself and there's an exploding remote control milk float which is one of at least the more interesting sequences in that at least something's happening yeah, but, but they, it's not they very well realized totally with it too because like every time in a regular bond film bond will kill somebody and then he'll drop a one-liner at the end of it here yeah. david niven kills this poor woman in her car he turns and he looks at the camera and just goes and then drives away <laughs> yeah, there could have been anything, I, anything like an expiration date, anything. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a question. Yes, I have a question. Uh, casino Royale is that what they call um, a casino burger? Casino Royale which, in France. Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 It would be a um, casino quarter what, pounder in in America. It, <laughs> what I find is is funny is that like not like barely any of this movie takes place in a casino or you know with with uh, gambling stakes. Anyway, well, yeah, that's that's because they it, that's because it was only suggested, yeah, suggested. by a casino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. The rest of it was suggested by some other people. Yeah. I, I have I some other say, notes. Oh, I you, will say on the on the on the on the uh, topic of the of the name, um, Casino Royale, the one with with Daniel Craig, um, is probably my favorite Bond movie. That's a great Bond movie, and we would be glad to have you back for that one. I, we'll yeah, see if I'm, I'm available. For... I have to check with my people and all that stuff. It's okay. It'll uh, be about we... 15 months from now. but <laughs> 15 months from now, and I don't know if we want to talk to your people, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy Casino Royale. I haven't seen it till close since close enough when it came out, but I do. My, my main recollection of Casino Royale is that I enjoyed it, but also that it was 30 minutes, almost exactly too long. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be yeah. curious to see if that comes out saying that's all i remember i remember it just kept going and i was like it shouldn't still be going now it feels unnecessary <laughs> but it kept rolling on and on and on but growing i had some pains. growing yeah pains I, I, had, I had some yeah. other notes that i took on this film hit me um 
Yeah, okay. So so here's a few other things that, that, that I took note of. Um, interesting enough, Angelica Houston apparently does some hand acting in this film. Angelica Houston, of course, <laughs> would be John Houston's daughter. If you were to ask me at what point she does hand acting, I don't fucking know. Uh, that's <laughs> for that a much why, Is that why spot. Woody Allen casted her in uh, Manhattan Murder Mystery? And that's presumably because she's just a good actress and he can get all of them. I don't know. She's probably too old for him by... She's probably too old for him in this movie, to be honest. Oh. Uh, she, I thought she was in yeah. Crimes and Misdemeanors, too. She was, yeah. That was the late 80s when she was, like, in her 30s, early... Even God, no, she was... No, no. What are your eyes for, for younger ladies, for sure, <laughs> at that point? I I, strangely, I, I was not inferring it. <laughs> I, also, I also have a feeling that Angelica Houston would, like, beat the... The living crap out of oh, yeah. if you try to do anything. I feel like she's not a woman you want to mess with. Yeah. Um, I, I also note Vladek Shebel re- returns, who was, he played what number, was number three, I believe, in uh, From Russia With Love, the chess champion master. Um, oh, wow. Who's one of my favorite characters in uh, From Russia With Love um, <laughs> because it's just such an absurd thing. He's so good at chess that he manages to end a chess game early because that's like, that's not even a real thing, but he's that's how good he is. He's such a master planner. And in this, he plays Le Chief's operative in Berlin who gets blown up in a phone box because the phone box is strapped with explosives and Le Chief can just hit a button and make a blow up. Um, I did also take a note that uh, Peter Sellers, if nothing else, does rival Sean Connery as surely the hairiest Bond in the franchise. Uh, there's one scene where Peter Sellers doesn't have his shirt on and he is rocking quite the quite the mane uh, below his nape line. So that's something. Um, it's not a lot. Uh, let me see, what else do I have? Um... The Look of Love, obviously, is an actual, you know, oh, classic song. Oh, yeah, oh, that, okay. gee, did, did Sean just fall off his chair, or no, is something... No, this is a note. Uh, this is oh, a note good. of mine. Um, that, that was... Uh, I, I, there's a moment in Catch Me If You Can that is clearly... Or what I, what I think, I'm, unless I'm ignorant of s- some other um, thread. Um, but uh, the moment with... Um, God, what's her name? Electra. Um, Jennifer Jennifer Garner. Sorry. So, yeah, she, uh, when her and Leo, um, like, meet up in this hallway, um, and, you know, Leo's kind of, like, playing this chameleon, like, at the, at the time, he's, he's sort of, like, uh, very suave, um, and dressed up, and, uh, she is as well, and they meet in the hallway, and they have this, this sort of, uh, flirtatious um, back and forth and the look of love plays and uh, there's a shot very similar to when it starts uh, the first time that it plays here uh, between those two I find it hard like, does, is, are we to infer from this that maybe Steven Spielberg is like a fan of this movie because that would just maybe. be maybe f- I don't know it, that it, would it's be weird. weird maybe it's subconscious I don't know could be, yeah. It may just be a, a, a reflection, because why not? Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I don't. I can't imagine. I like. I can't imagine anyone building a serious defense of this film. Um, <laughs> no, it's impossible. Nobody likes this movie. Maybe, maybe he saw it. Maybe it was just on TV and he saw it and it stuck with him. Who knows? It's it's possible. I have some some other notes. Um, I did note like, and this I think is maybe reflective of the film as a whole. I says this movie's like a crazy wild parody. It's unhinged and like zany, and yet they go to cue to the weapons 
specialist of of the <laughs> of MI five in this. It's, for some reason, he works in MI five in this rather than MI six, which he does in the in the main Bond franchise, which is actually the British Secret Service. Uh, MI five is National Security, I believe, which is a different branch entirely. But anyhow, um, he works for MI five in this because presumably they didn't bother to do any research. Because why would you? Um, but they go to Q to the headquarters and they have like all kinds of zany inventions. But the the it's it's barely zanier than what's in Goldfinger. Like it, it's such a missed opportunity, <laughs> yeah. and that seems like the whole film. Like it's it's supposed to be crazy, but it's ne- it never feels like they've really pushed beyond anything. It never feels genuinely out of control or ridiculous the only thing that feels out of control is just the narrative itself it feels like no one has any kind of reins on what's actually happening in the film um, and then I think let me see did I have any other notes uh, I, one thing I would like to say Barbara Boucher I feel she deserves a little bit more credit because she would go on to become a major cult figure in cinema um, particularly like Italian kind of giallo and stuff she showed up in like Black Belly the Tarantula she did some Fernando de Leo films like Calibre 9 which is stupendously entertaining if you've never seen it mm. um, and it's interesting actually because Sean you were talking about you know discomfort when she kisses all those guys one of my one of the stories I remember hearing about Barbara Shea because this is a weird film because she is completely clothed through the entire film which is unusual in her later films uh, huh. she she is genuine generally nude at least for a portion of her later films, certainly stuff like I Don't Torture a Duckling or uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula, like these kind of giallo Italian productions. She, play, she plays like a, basically a perpetually naked pedophile in uh, Don't Torture a Duckling, which is one of the weirdest roles in a very weird film generally. But um, I, one of my one stories I remember Barbara Boucher uh, is that a guy wanted to meet her on set, a director, and she was there... She was in her caravan or whatever, and he just said he wanted to meet her, and he knocked on her door, and she just answered the door naked, because I guess she was just already naked from the day's shooting, and she didn't care. That's nice. Um, so, yeah, so so an, in- an interesting element to that. It's, it's weird they got Barbara Boucher for this film, and she's really in a very kind of toned-down role, almost, from what she would go on to be known for. But also, I feel like Barbara Boucher, she's wasted in the film. Like, she's such a beautiful kind of she's a charismatic performer like she's really fun in a lot of those other movies and in this she's just really just set dressing and she's got this weird American accent I assume she's dubbed and Nikki Van de Zyl is, uh, is is credited as dubbing in this movie and she's dubbed a lot of the women in James Bond movies but I'm curious about that because like Ursula Andress is in this film and she seems to be talking with a more Germanic accent but I still was reading online that she was dubbed by Nikki van der Zal for this as well. So I don't really, rec- I don't know if that's actually the case or not. That would like be an actual connection to the regular Bond series. But and it's always an interesting point if the Bond films deny women their own speaking voice, which is always goes down well in history. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's it for production notes that I have. Honestly, like looking through the film, it's just if if this podcast feels, I think, very chaotic and all over the place, it's because the film is just spilling out everywhere. It's just got no idea where it's going or how to get yeah, there. Yeah, this is like performance art. Yeah, <laughs> it is, but the worst kind. This is like this is like a high school production of Waiting for Gatto that someone got like <laughs> someone really got way above their station. We're like, we're really gonna 
put it out there. We're going to challenge the audience. <laughs> and they did challenge us because we all really had to work hard to sit through this. That's true. Yeah. Uh, only other note I have is uh, this film uh, wound up making $41.7 million at the box office, which is uh, uh, adjusted for inflation equivalent to $300 million. Which is terrible, yeah. which suggests this was actually, despite doubling the production as they ran out of control, uh, that this is still financially a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Ugh, the, the world is a dark and evil place sometimes. Yeah, well, uh, I think that about does it for this episode. I have nothing else I want or care to add. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like... I. Uh, I Okay, so we, we've done four of the main thing. We Doctor No from Russia with Love, uh, Golden Goldfinger, and then uh, Thunderball. Um, if you are unfamiliar with James Bond or in any way interested with James Bond, I've just listed four movies you should watch before this one. Yeah, and yeah. if you're still hungry for more James Bond but don't want to watch any other James Bond movies after that, just watch those four again. This is I just I can't commend this. This feels like. Even for people who are really into 60s shtick or what, like, I, mean, I feel like maybe the only reason maybe you could watch this film is if you have maybe an interest in the production design, maybe you have an interest in just completion. Maybe you're, if you're a Peter Sellers fan, maybe it's worth tracking down. I don't know. Uh, that's about it. It's more it. worth it for, like, anybody who's, like, an Orson Welles completist. But then yeah. you can just fast forward... Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's a lot to get through just to get to Orson Welles' small portion in it, and he disappears pretty quickly again. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to thank you guys for bringing me on. Of course, as, Sean. Um, of the, course. For the, the worst co- movie the third in co-host the host going forward. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Come on come on board. I mean, honestly, uh, if you make it through Casino Royale, you can make it through pretty much anything else we're going <laughs> to yeah. throw at you. Yeah, this is uh, co-host boot camp. That's right. Yeah, there's there's a later there's a later James Bond never say never again. Um, and I feel like actually when it came to Casino Royale, they really should have just said never and just left it at that. <laughs> that's, yeah. I feel that's, that's our grand lesson with this. This, I think, is... The nadir of the James Bond title. Oh, except absolutely. Maybe, I, except for maybe James Bond Jr., the uh, less discussed 90s cartoon, which actually is still probably better because those episodes were like 20 oh, yeah. minutes long. Um, do you remember actually, Do you remember that, Sean? Did you ever see James Bond yeah, Jr.? Yeah, I watched them. Okay, I, I, so, I remember right. watching them on... Uh, they, they were on TV like early mornings before school and stuff like that. Um, they were, I get it kind of confused with like... An Inspector Gadget show, and there was Captain another Planet, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I yeah. do remember. I, I do remember. Yeah, yeah. That's so. So there you go. Um, you have got a lot of other options here. Um, yeah. It's just, do we? We didn't run numbers, as I said, because honestly, we've got our budget numbers. There is really no death everyone in this dies. film because yeah, it blows up. Everyone dies, and there's no real there's like there's no real shootout or anything in this movie. There's no action set pieces. There's nothing to distinguish it from it. And uh, the sex scenes, if anything, are inferred even more gently than they are in the actual James Bond films. And there's literally just so much going on. It meaninglessly like it doesn't matter you know what happens because the women there aren't there's no bond girl in this movie really there's lots of girls but there's just no lots. bond girl yeah. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of girls as james bond but no bond girl <laughs> yeah pretty much well, i mean it, 
that almost feels like equality that there's female James Bonds if only they were to get some kind of screen time. Yeah. I think that um if if it's one thing I can say for Casino Royale, I think that uh personally it gave me a chance to really bond with you guys. Well well uh, All right, um, I'm glad we had this time. Together. <laughs> All right. That that pretty much sets the tone for the whole film. So I think we should probably uh, call it <laughs> call it call it a day at that. Well done, right. Sean. You should have written this this movie. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, All right. well Sean, well, guys, where can the uh, good people find you on the internet? There. Uh, at Mr. Glennis on That's right. Twitter. All right. And, uh, Jack. Jack. Oh, I can, I can be found at Real Jack Eason. That's R E A L J A C K E A S O N on Twitter.com. Perfect. I'm at uh, Jake Tropila. T R O P I L A. Um, if you like this podcast and you wanna you wanna uh, help us, you can contribute to our Patreon, which should be live soon if it's not already. And uh, feel free to go into iTunes and uh, rate, comment, subscribe. Give us uh, say say you hate us and give us five stars. We'll we'll really appreciate it. Yeah, all the stars you wouldn't give to Casino Royale the film, give to it's us. True. We will exactly. take them all. Yes, we will take uh, eighty million stars. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we, you just budget budget six stars for us, and then just end up giving us twelve. Yeah. Well, I think that about does it here. Uh, Tune in next time. James Bond will return, and you only live twice. <laughs> <laughs>